Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. 20 seconds to go. Wrist shot, save Talbot. Rebound, Tomlou Lupin. Wrist shot, Martinez, save Talbot. Kopitar bangs it off the back of the head. 12 seconds, wrist shot, Martinez. Save made by Cam Talbot. Here come the Oilers, 2-1-1 on one to win it. McDavid in for the left-hand side. Dry settle waits. There's the center pass. One-timer, score! Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 champ. Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for tuning in tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins. The program is Inside Sports on 6.30. Chet, good to have you tuning in tonight. We got an Eskimos game coming up on this station on Friday. The countdown to kickoff will start at 6. The game will start at 8. It is the unbeaten Edmonton Eskimos, 2-0 on the early season against the winless Ottawa Red Blacks. They are sitting at 0-2-1. They have that tie. They had two very close losses. Bit of a heartbreaker last week against Toronto. They had chances to put it away or win it and they could not execute. Their head coach, Rick Campbell, will be on the show tonight. We'll also catch up with Edmonton Oilers defenseman Matthew Benning, a guy many of you fell in love with over the past season, his rookie year in the NHL. He was helping at the Habitat for Humanity build today in southeast Edmonton, so we'll see how that went for him. You want to contact me? I encourage you to do so. You can text 630-630, our open line number, 780-496-0063. You can email insidesports at 630ched.com and follow me on Twitter at Reed Wilkins. It's R-E-I-D-W-I-L-K-I-N-S. Kellen Kennedy is our studio producer this evening. We're going to welcome the uh, commissioner of the CFL to the show, by the way, in about a minute or two. Kellen, how are you doing, old boy? Doing great. How about yourself? Are you going to the Eskimos game on Friday, or are you going to be here making sure that it gets on the air? Neither. Uh-oh. <laughs> Dare I ask, what could be more I got, important? I got the vacation during that, so I'm not going to be in town. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope you have a great vacation, oh, thank buddy. thank you. Uh, it is uh, Eskimos. You're picking the Eskimos. Oh, By the obviously. Way, how, who, who, had a, who had the best prediction? I think you were closest yeah. against Montreal. Did you not say Eskimos by nine? Yes. And they won by four. Yeah. I said they'd win by 21, I think. Yeah. And who was it uh, that texted in? That they were going to win something like forty-two, fifteen. Yeah, we had a listener text in say they were they were going to win big, mm. even bigger than I said. Yeah. All right. If well, that person's listening, they'll text in and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I, guys. "I think the Eskimos are." I think they're one of the top three teams in the league. I think they're better than Ottawa. But you look at how Ottawa has played, and you wonder if maybe they're due. 
Mm. Wonder if maybe they're due. I don't think they're going to go oh seventeen and one. But uh, there've been good games between these two teams for sure. Like I said, we'll mm. talk to uh, Red Blacks head coach Rick Campbell coming up later. We'll give you some Eskimos roster notes as well. Looks like Marcus Howard is going to play his first game of the season on the D line. But right now, I want to welcome to the show a former Edmonton Eskimo, now the new commissioner of the Canadian Football League, Randy Ambrosi. Randy, welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm excellent. Thank you for asking. I'm having a good day. Right on. Well, it's good to have you on the show. Congratulations on becoming the new commissioner of the CFL. A lot I want to get to in regards to that. But but first, you're, you're talking to a bunch of Eskimos fans, and I'd be remiss if I didn't say, give me some memories of that 1993 season and that 1993 uh, Grey Cup for the Edmonton Eskimos. Because I think, if I remember correctly, maybe you were a bit of an underdog uh, to beat Calgary in the West Final, but you got that done and then uh, knocked off Winnipeg in the big game. Yeah, you know, I mean, there it's a it's a funny part of your life where you can almost remember, um, you know, moment by moment that whole experience. I, uh, you know, I, I for me, so much of it is is wrapped up in you know my family and memories of, you know, my dad who's now gone, and you know he had a chance to be with us and and have uh, you know his, my dad grew up just northeast of Edmonton and in, in the Andrew area, and you know he was there and picture of all of us with the gray cup and my dad holding the gray cup and you know those things live on and and are um, you know fantastic memories were you uh, were you already planning to retire randy or was it a situation where you're like okay i'm gonna go out having won my last game yeah you know what I, I when i walked into the dressing room in calgary uh you know at the start of that week i knew that was it i was going to play that game you know as to the best of my ability but uh i was slated for uh a fifth uh, surgery on my left knee, and and uh, you know it was just really I knew that I knew the end was coming, and uh, and I just so happened to come out on the on the lucky end of that uh, equation and got that Grey Cup ring that I had dreamt of uh, dreamt of having. So the, your playing career ended, and uh, I mean you've you've been doing a lot between <laughs> between now and then. Some stuff with the CFLPA, um, I, in the financial investment world as well. Is that is that a fair description? Without uh, yeah, going over every job. Now, were you were you already preparing for your post playing career while you were uh, while you were a player? Were you one of those guys that was already plotting something out, or what was your approach there? Yeah, yeah, I was working. It was in the investment business uh, for most of the years that I played. In fact, almost entirely for the years I played in Edmonton. And I really, you know, that was my plan. I was going to, you know, I was going to play and enjoy every moment of my playing years. But I wanted to be ready to jump out into into my post-career life. And, you know, I got uh, very lucky to have worked and met with some wonderful people during that time. One of them is... You know Fred Patton, who um, who gave me a chance to move into a management position. Fred is still uh, at CIBC with Gundy, and I consider him to be one of the greatest people who I, you know, interacted with during my career. All right, so I'm going to kind of ask you a general question here, but the the, the CFL needs a commissioner. Why, why did you want the job? I mean, it can be that's a pretty daunting title. You're you're responsible to the to the league, the players' association, and of course the fans. Uh, sometimes the commissioner is in a situation where he never hears what's going right. People only want to talk to him when something's going wrong. So why did you say I, I want this job? I got to do this. Well, it just came for at such a perfect time for me. You know, we had just uh, completed a transaction. We uh, 
We sold uh, the firm uh, 3Max. I was the president and CEO of the firm. We had gone through a transformational period, uh, grew the firm quite dramatically. And then we, you know, the board uh, really felt that it was time to look for a strategic partner. And we found that in Raymond James and had what I think many would uh, agree was one of the most successful transactions in the industry's history. And then, you know, I'm, I'm, I've completed the transaction and Barb and I were just, uh, you know, frankly, we were really enjoying some downtime and talking about what's next. And, and then, you know, when uh, Jeffrey Orridge stepped down, I, uh, Barb and I looked at each other and Barb said, you know, I, I think, Randy, this may be the time that that's the right thing and started the conversation with Jim Lawson, the chairman of the Board of Governors, and here I sit today. So just the, it was a good timing award, I suppose. And uh, and I'm really looking forward to the challenges, and, and, and I know there will be challenges, but I'm very excited about it. Randy, what do you think the advantages are to an ex-player being commissioner of the CFL? Well, at some point, uh, you know, I often quote Stephen Covey uh, uh, lines, but, you know, one of those uh, great... Uh, habits, he says, is, you know, first seek to understand before you seek to be understood. And, you know, I think for me, being able to relate to the players and know how hard it is to make a living as a professional athlete, you know, that way that empathy I can have for the players will will help me. Um, you know, that's a good thing. You know, the um, and, and of course, after that, I, be, you know, financial services and, and an executive for a number of years now. And I, you know, I talk the language of business, which, which allows me to relate to the governors and to the team presidents. So and in some respects, I feel like it's like the perfect combination of those two worlds colliding and, and uh, will give me an opportunity to do this job to the best of my ability. CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosi joining us on Inside Sports tonight. You know, one of the, obviously, uh, an ongoing concern, I guess, about the league is, is getting and keeping fans. There is a perception that I, that I think is somewhat accurate that th- there are maybe fewer young fans uh, embracing the league as they once did 20, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, you know, now that you're coming into the job, what is, what is your perception of that concern? And if it's, if it's a legitimate concern to you, how do you go about addressing it? Yeah, you know, it, it is a legitimate concern, but, you know, one of the things I just finished doing, in fact, uh, prior, to, uh, prior to talking to you, I just did a CFL show on Twitter, and we are one of Twitter's biggest, um, biggest partners in Canada. And, and it's amazing. Like, so Twitter is getting into the broadcasting uh, arena. And that's a, that is a medium that is so important uh, to younger, the younger demographics. So I think one of the ways we do this is connect with the younger demographic on their own terms. And that's, uh, and again, places like, uh, and, and uh, mediums like Twitter are going to be part of that future. I think all pro sports are going through this same challenge. I I read a piece several weeks ago that the New York Yankees are finding it difficult to attract the millennial generation to their stadium. So the CFL is not alone in this challenge. And, you know, part of it is you have to adapt to these new technologies and you have to deliver the game in a way that makes sense to this generation. And I know we can do that and I'm excited about it. All right. Um, I should add, I'm just going to throw you this. I know you're new, so you may not be totally engaged with this. I, in, I interviewed David Winter earlier this week with uh, a company called Canuck Play. They're putting out a game called Canadian Football 17 um, that does not have the licensing from the league, so they, they can't use real players and team names. Uh, would you be interested in, uh, in maybe making that work so you, we can't actually have 
Mike Riley taking the snaps for the Edmonton Eskimos instead of a made-up player's name? Is that Would that be on your agenda, even if it's long-term? Well, you know, for the starters, I think you'd know that on my, uh, this has officially been my third day on the job, and I'm really concentrating <laughs> on the real game right now. <laughs> and in fact, uh, I'm, I, I, so, and, and quite honestly, I've got my hands full with the real players and the, uh, the real game and the, and the challenges on the field. And, uh, and so I look, I laughed all kidding aside, you know, obviously uh, there is an opportunity to be in the video game business with a partner, but I haven't, you know, I haven't given it any thought at all. And I'd be, uh, be silly for me to jump into a discussion about it until I get, uh, you know, my feet on the ground. No, that's fair. But I, I knew people would want me to ask because I had pretty good response to that, to that interview the, the other night. Um, I, I guess I got another standard question to ask you. How, how do you look at the situation um, with the Toronto Argos, there always seems to be the discussion there. I mean, they have changed stadiums now, but about the about the fan base, about um, keeping that team relevant in that city, is is that something you want to step into? Does the ownership need to do it themselves? How do you look at that? Yeah, well, you know, it's a great question, and uh, there's a few answers. So one is I had lunch with Mike Copeland today, the Argos president, and. You know, I'm a big Mike Copeland fan. I've known of his work when he was uh, the chief operating officer for the league, and I think he's just uh, he's just an awesome guy. Um, so, you know, I said to Mike, Mike, look, what can I do to help you? And Mike and I agreed to get together again and start talking about what they're working on and how the league office can support it. Uh, but backing up from that, I had uh, I had a chance to meet with Larry Tannenbaum. Uh, during the interview process and you know what I really wanted to get a feel for was what Mr. Tannenbaum and Bell are thinking and and they're very committed to the Argos and and the third answer uh, which dovetails into to this um, meeting with with uh, Mr. Tannenbaum is look if you were starting from scratch and you were saying look what are three of the preconditions you'd want to have to, uh, to rebuild a franchise in, in this market, you would say, well, number one, you want to have uh, amazing ownership, and I think we can put a check mark in that box. Number two, you'd want to have a really solid stadium, football-friendly, great fan-friendly environment. We can put a check mark in that box. And then third, you'd want great, great team management and great coaching, and I think we can put a check mark in that box. And then on top of all of that, You've got 7 million people here in, in uh, southern Ontario. There's lots of fans out there. We just have to go and find them and show them our great game, and I'm confident that we can do that and will. And then the, the last piece of my answer has been, look at what happened in Ottawa. You know, we were gone from that market. And by all accounts, Ottawa is one of the best cities to go see a game in because the fans are so passionate. So Canadians will find their way to the Canadian Football League because it's a great game and Yes, we're going to have to work hard at it, but we've got all those conditions in place, and I think it's just the future is going to be very bright in Toronto, but we're going to have to work hard brick by brick to, uh, to build the foundation again, and, and we've got the, par- the partners who want to do that. Well, Randy, it's exciting to have you on board. I mean, I can I can hear the enthusiasm in your voice, and, and uh, you know, I hope you do a great job, obviously, in the commissioner's office. And, and I know we're, we're going to talk again. I think you're coming to Edmonton for a game. Is it later this month? That's that's correct. I'm going to be out there. Um, I'm, I'm just trying to remember my date. Probably the 28th against the Lions, I think. That, that's right. And I'm um, really looking forward to it. And I've, 
I had a I had a chance to meet uh, for a, when I was in for the a wedding last weekend. I had a chance to catch up with Brad Sparrow, and and uh, he laid out the warmest welcome. And I'm looking forward to being there and getting a chance to connect with all of you and and some and some old friends uh, when I'm in town. Thanks a lot, Randy. We look forward to that. That is Randy Ambrosi, former Edmonton Eskimo, 93 Grey Cup champion, now the commissioner of the CFL. New on the job. He has a lot to tackle. Uh, I do think it's positive he's a former player. Hopefully he'll have some uh, uh, you know, understanding of uh, the right way to take the game and, and how to market the game, which continues to be a challenge. He made some, an interesting comment there about the New York Yankees, and I want to tie that into probably a larger issue that I think is affecting pro sports. We'll get into that when we get back. Inside Sports on 630 Chet. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. And we'll have Cam Talbot's teammate Matthew Benning on the show just after 7 o'clock tonight. He was at the Habitat for Humanity build in southeast Edmonton earlier today. Also one going on in uh, Fort Saskatchewan. We had uh, Jay Lynn, Chris Sheets, and Bruce sit down with former President Jimmy Carter for a while. I saw Garth Brooks and Tricia Yearwood working on the houses as well. Pretty cool. Uh, an amazing volunteer project going on there. My name is Reed Wilkins. Inside Sports on 630 Ched. It is 624. You can text 630, 630. Uh, Rizzy texted this in uh, during the interview. Rizzy, I'm sorry I didn't see this. But uh, good question. Maybe I'll have to get to next time. Talk to the commission. Will Ambrosi open up the books for the public to see how the players are signed and for how much? They usually say how long the contracts are. The uh, value usually is not out there. David says, Reed, the CFL needs a video game. Long overdue. Wouldn't affect me at all. I'm already a big CFL fan, but the kids would eat it up. That is from David. And, uh, yeah, David, I hope you got to hear the interview on the show a couple of days ago with David Winter, who is the president of Canuck Play, which is a company putting out a video game called Canadian Football 17 on July 26th. It will have... Nine teams uh, with uh, similar colors as to their uh, real-life counterparts. The stadiums will be very close to real life, but it will not have teams called the Eskimo Stampeders, and it will not have real players because the CFL didn't get on board uh, with the license. Hopefully that happens down the road. And we were talking about the other night. I think there's an amazing potential there, too. Maybe you get classic teams involved. You know, who's better, uh, the 89 Eskimos or the 2015 Eskimos? Match them up against each other in the video game. That would be pretty cool. Randy Ambrosi made a point there. I asked him about the younger generation. That's certainly, I, I think, a concern for the CFL. Or do they have as you know as many young fans as they would like to sustain the league long term? Now, the, the 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 league relies heavily on TV revenue. We had Alan Watt from the Eskimos on the show a few days ago, and because somebody texted in complaining about 8 p.m. starts, and Alan basically said TSN gives us a lot of money, so if they want to start a few games at eight, it is going to happen. Uh, Randy made the comment there about being on Twitter, trying to engage with young fans. And, and I think it ties into a whole issue about how we watch sports now. And I want to include everybody in the we. I don't just want to say, well, it's just these kids under 25 that don't have an attention span. I, I think things have changed with highlight shows, with the internet, with Twitter. I mean, you can follow a game just by reading along on Twitter. And now a lot of leagues post video 
of highlights shortly after they happen. So you could follow along with a football game, see what's going on on Twitter. Oh, there's the highlight. I didn't have to sit down and watch three hours. I followed it on my phone while I was doing something else or out for dinner, and I still saw all the big plays. I was reading today that the National Basketball Association is trying to speed up games by limiting the number of timeouts you can call in the last two minutes. We all know that's a complaint for basketball watchers. It's got good pace, and then there's a timeout every 20 seconds in the last couple of minutes, and they're also trying to uh, speed it up when the teams come out at the end of halftime so they get the tip going right away. So you can text 630-630. What what changes would you like? Pick your sport. How do we speed up these games? And do we have an attention span problem? You know, is it is it too much to ask to say you got to sit there for two and a half hours and and watch this if you're into the sport? Can you not just sit down and watch it? You know. Now, football games, both sides of the border, tend to take a little longer than hockey, basketball, baseball. Don't get me started. We'll talk a little bit about that and Rick Campbell, Red Black Ted Coach, all coming up inside Sports on Chet. This is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. Riley and the Eskimos set to go Friday night against the Ottawa Red Blacks. We'll have it for you here on 630 Chet. Then it's a road game for the Eskimos next Thursday in Hamilton. Then two more at home, July 28th and August 4th against BC and Hamilton, respectively. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Inside Sports on 630 Chet. It is 634. We'll have Red Blacks head coach Rick Campbell on the show in a few minutes. Oilers defenseman Matthew Benning coming up just after the 7 o'clock news. So we're talking about the way you can consume sporting events is continually changing. Uh, I referenced last week, I just finished reading a biography about Joe DiMaggio, and during his career, games started being shown on TV which was a big change at the time. And some owners were resistant to that because if you put games on TV, no one's going to buy a ticket to go to the stadium. I I think now pro sports, depending on the market too and the popularity of the team, is facing perhaps somewhat of a similar crisis. You can consume sports um, without watching the whole game on television or buying a ticket to go to the stadium or arena. Now, preferably the leagues and the owners want you to either buy a ticket to go to the game and buy the merchandise and the hot dogs and the pop and all that stuff that can go along with that and pay for the parking, or they want you to watch the entire game on TV and see all the commercials and go buy products from those advertisers and all that kind of stuff. Um, but at the same time, now one of the... Uh, I don't, maybe it's not a... Comp- it is sort of a complaint because, uh, A, as, as, as you get to be an adult, you may have a busier life, you may have kids, you may have spouses, you may have other responsibilities... Maybe you don't sit down and watch an entire game. And now I think even for a lot of younger people, you're embracing social media. Why would you to watch an entire game when you can follow it on your phone? Right? Let's, let's face it. I mean, that's why we have highlight shows. Because most of, uh, in most plays, in pick the sport, nothing happens. Right? How many three- to six-yard gains are there in a football game? Oh, okay. How many shots are there in a hockey game that don't go in the net? and aren't a spectacular save. How many at-bats in baseball result in a routine out? So that's why we had highlight shows, and now we have things like Twitter and Facebook or, or Instagram where a team, a league, can post video of the highlights 
almost immediately after it happened. Now, the NFL was trying to discourage this last year, and a couple teams got around it or tried to get around it by using like figurines to show what, to show what happened on the play. And, and we saw the NFL, which is uh, an absolute juggernaut of a league, right? They have had... I don't want to say dwindling because it's not that serious, but they have had declining attendance uh, in some markets. And it's it's either because it is more comfortable and cheaper to watch a game at home and be able to change the channel and look in on other games and have your own chair and your own bathroom. That That's more convenient. Uh, or it's it's simply easier to follow a game on social media on your phone and then look at, oh, the Detroit Lions and Houston Texans are tied 30-30 at the start of the fourth quarter. Now I'll watch, as opposed to engaging with that whole game. So I, I just wonder where this is going to head. As a society, are we, are we losing the attention span to sit down and watch something for three hours relatively undistracted? Right? I mean, most movies are two hours, give or take, say between an hour 40 and two, fifth, two hours, 15 minutes. So if a, if a sporting event takes longer than a movie, is that too much to ask the average fan to set aside that much time in his or her busy day and also to engage in something where now we're so inundated with this is a big deal, this is a big deal. Is it too much to ask people just sit and watch this game and go through the experience? And maybe there's going to be a build and there might be lulls where nothing happens. But can you can you actually get somebody to sit and embrace that experience? And I'd say number one on the list is baseball. And, and I'm going to put myself in that category because when I was a kid or in the 90s, now the Blue Jays were really good and the Expos had often at least competitive teams. I could actually sit and watch most of a baseball game, even non-playoffs. I remember taking a summer school at the U of A in the early 90s, and my class would go till, I think, 4 or 5. If the Jays would be on at 5, I would come home, make dinner, watch the entire game. It would end around 8, and then I would get back into my homework or my reading. I, I it, To be honest with you, unless I'm at a game right now, if I go, you know, if I go to a baseball game, it's hard for me to sit. Imagine sitting and watching an entire baseball game. Like, here's a they should, perfect world. You shorten baseball games to seven innings. Now I know that's sacrilegious to say that, but is is, is at some point a league going to have to do something that drastic? Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. We have Mark on the line. Hey, Mark. Hi. How's it going? Doing quite well. I just want to chime in. Uh interesting about what you're saying is besides the the aspect of being able to have your own personal facilities while you're watching the game and, which I agree is, is much more convenient. What I find um, is if, if you're online depending on what website you prefer some people watch on Twitter uh, some people watch on image boards or what have you there's also the aspect of being able to like as a certain play happens, I find I can discuss that play and learn more about it with other people. And that's something you can't really... I mean, my, my favorite way, maybe I'm old-fashioned, my favorite way to listen to a sport or watch it is still uh, at risk of sounding like a suck-up. I prefer to listen to it unchecked because it's comfy. But it's... There's just no... Nowadays, I find as a young person, it's... Everything's just all glitz and glamour and there's nothing really of substance anymore they just 
to redoing every single play and and suddenly cutting to an advertisement and just throwing it all in your face. Maybe it's the same way why I don't, uh, I don't know. Well, you, I think you raise an interesting point too, and you know, there's, you know, I kind of asked Randy this question, and I didn't bring up, I didn't bring up the NFL, but you and I both know there, there's, a, it's more likely that we have a younger generation, it's, it's more likely that someone from a younger generation will, will not watch the CFL, but will watch the NFL. But my counter to that would be, how many of those young people are actually watching the NFL, as opposed to they're just actually watching their fantasy football team? composed of NFL players, right? Oh, right, or how many people are just sort of lazily tuning in while it's in the background? What's, who's really invested in the game nowadays? You're right, and, and so who's who's sitting down where they got a Sunday off and putting on uh, Jets and Dolphins at 11 a.m. and watching the entire game just because they want to see a football game? I and think if anybody's going to crap on the CFL, that's something uh, I could point out is that the fan base here is usually extremely dedicated. Yes. Now, Eskimo's average attendance has declined over the last decade, but I, but there's still a pretty hardcore uh, season ticket base and, and oh, fan base that I think is quite knowledgeable. And I know that because I, I talk to a lot of people too. Uh, Barker, are you a lifelong uh, Edmonton sports fan? That's right. Well, I've had some... Uh, I've flirted with some other teams in the past. <laughs> okay. I remember... I ran it. Actually, ran into a couple of the old uh, Vancouver Grizzlies players. When no I way! Out in <laughs> running around on the court playing be- uh, basketball by myself, and a bunch of lanky seven-foot guys came out and were just throwing the ball around with me. And they're like, "Yeah, I'm so and so." And I look them up like, "Holy crap! You plays for the Grizzlies!" <laughs> That's incredible, Mark. Thanks for calling. I appreciate your thoughts. I appreciate the show. Have a good night. Fantasy sports is, a, I think, another angle to this. And I think it's great that the CFL is now on DraftKings, which they started last year. And, and I play uh, DraftKings. I don't spend a lot of money on it because I often lose. Imagine that. But fantasy sports does help. And it does help get people knowing the players and engaging with the games and checking the scores and maybe even watching a little more often. It is 6.43. You can chime in on this if you want. We'll also get to Red Blacks head coach Rick Campbell when we get back at 6.42. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 6.30 Chat. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in. This portion of the show is presented by Action Furnace, home of the fixed right or its free guarantee. You can visit actionfurnace.ca. Here are some Eskimos roster notes as we move towards Friday's game against the Red Blacks. Defensive lineman Marcus Howard activated off the six-game injured list. Philip Hunt put on the six-game injured list, so some changes on the D-line. Alex Hoffman-Ellis is in at linebacker. Terrence Bullitt will come out some uh, depth there behind the existing core. Johnny Adams in the defensive backfield and Simeon Rotier on the O-line did not practice. We'll uh, have to wait and see tomorrow if they are on the uh, depth chart. Matt O'Donnell on the O-line did return after missing the last couple of practices. Danny Grew, who was the Eskimos' uh, first-round draft pick in 2015, could uh, wind up getting the start on the O-line or to, uh, at least be in the uh, first guy in, depending on what goes on with Rotier. So we'll keep an eye on that. Dave and uh, Morley will keep you updated, and we'll have a further preview from an Eskimo standpoint on this show tomorrow. Meanwhile, the Red Blacks come into this 
game without a win, and they are coached by Rick Campbell. Rick, welcome back to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? Doing very well. Thanks for making time for me tonight on Inside Sports. Always good to, to talk to you here on 630 Ched, and uh, it's been an interesting start to the year for, for your Red Blacks, and I want to get into that, but, but I wanted to ask you first about uh, just some of your uh, recollections and your relationship with Don Matthews, who, of course, uh, passed away recently and, uh, you know, huge ties to Edmonton and the Eskimos. And I believe you were, uh, you were on his staff when uh, he was coach of the Eskimos back in 99 and 2000. So I'm sure a guy who probably had a pretty big influence on you, eh? Yeah, I learned a lot from him, and I appreciate it. I was uh, working at the University of Oregon, just a young coach, uh, working my way up, and uh, he offered me an opportunity in Edmonton. And um, um, you know, I was I was glad I took it because he's there's a he's got a wealth of knowledge. Um, the big things I remember about Don is he taught you to think outside of the box. A lot of times in football, people are set in their ways and. They do things a certain way just because that's the way it's always been done. And he was always looking for new, innovative ways to do things. And, uh, you know, had a big influence on the game. And I'm glad I had a chance to work with him because, I, like I said, I learned a lot from him. Yeah, well, and I know from a lot of players who played with him, they, they just talked about him being a player's coach and that uh, atmosphere he uh, he creates for guys in the dressing room and that confidence he gives them to go into each game feeling like they're the better athlete, right? Yeah, yeah, he, he does do that, and um, he he um, he wanted to make sure it was fun for the players, and wanted to put them in a position to succeed, which is really what this is all about. And I don't think Don uh, lost sight of that, and so that's why a lot of guys uh, liked playing for him. All right, Rick Campbell joining us on Inside Sports. So, look, uh, you've been the coach, the only coach the Red Blacks have ever had. You've been in the Grey Cup two straight years. You won it last year. Now, I know you love being called the Grey Cup champion, but as then as you roll into 2017 and people call you the defending Grey Cup champions, I wonder how you hear about how you feel about that term. Because I know a lot of people will say, don't call us defending. We're not defending anything. It, that, was, that was last year. We got a lot of more, more work to do. When you hear that defending Grey Cup champions, is that, do you, would, would you prefer to move on from that at this point, or how does it make you feel? Yeah, yeah I mean, you really have to move on, and um, we'll always be proud of it. Uh, whenever you win the Grey Cup, it's a big deal, and we're, we'll, we'll be proud of it. We talked about it in the very first meeting of the year. Every team and every team goes through this, whether you won the Grey Cup or you didn't, is every year is a brand new year. Every team takes on its own personality because there's always going to be some change of players and sometimes coaches. And um, it's, you really got to look at it as a, to hit the, the restart button, and, and we've done that. And our guys have, done a, have been working hard and uh, – we haven't got rewarded for it, but we're going to keep uh, working at this thing. All right. Well, in a good segue, you haven't been rewarded for it. You got a tie. You got two nail-biting uh, losses. Um, how do you how do you sort of you know balance? Okay, we're close. We're maybe a play or two or a mistake or two away from winning, um, but you, you wake up and you and you still deal with that zero in the win column. So how do you how do you weigh sort of the effort and the closeness of the games with some disappointing final results? Yeah, well, I think we're regardless of whether you win or whether you lose as coaches and even as players, is you have to be smart enough to know. Um, what your issues are and know what your know what your strengths are know what your weaknesses are 
you know, we we lost the game on a last second field goal that went wide by two or three feet. And even if that thing goes in at the end, we still have the same issues um, that we have. So um, you got to just keep working at it. A lot of the games are really close. If you watch any games around the league, most of them are come down to the wire. And, you know, that for the Eskimos, they've been on the right side of it. And credit to them for doing that. But, you know, I believe both their games have come down to the last series of the game, literally. And so, and it's been the same thing for us. All three of our games have come down to the last series of the game. And uh, the good teams find a way to get on the right side of those scores, and uh, we're going to keep working on it. Uh, we know we we know we're a work in progress, but we also know um, there's a lot of good things about us, and um, we're just going to keep working away at this thing. I, I, I don't want to set you up for a woe-is-us type answer because I know you got to prepare, but, but it is a story for you guys. Um, four games in 17 days total. Uh, I believe it's three in the next 11, starting with Friday's game on the Brickfield at Commonwealth Stadium. D- does, that, does that compact schedule change preparation or what you guys you know, can do practice-wise? Or give us some insight into the effect that has on the coaching staff and the players. Yeah, sure it does. It's uh, one that um, asking players to do that. I'm not a big fan of asking football players to do that because they put their bodies through a uh, a lot of uh, you know, it's it's a it's a tough game. Um, so that point of view, and then on, when you have normal weeks, as you review the game and correct things, and so that you can learn, and then the players get a day off, and then then you come back and you practice for a week, and we're going to be in a mode where we don't practice. We're going to meet and do walkthroughs and all that. But um, you know, where the other thing is, we need to just take it one game at a time. Cause we're just focused on. Friday night in Edmonton and that's all we're going to worry about because that's all we can control and then uh, we'll worry about what comes after that. Rick Campbell joining us on Inside Sports, head coach of the Ottawa Red Blacks. You know, Rick, in, in the last uh, portion of the show here, I, I got to interview Randy Ambrosi, the new commissioner of the league. Uh, of course, I asked him the question about his thoughts on uh, on the Toronto franchise and what they can do. And he said, hey, you know, things can turn around. And he goes, look, there wasn't a team in Ottawa <laughs> you know, four years ago. And, and now they're, uh, they've been to two great cups in a row and, and are a success story. So I guess I just want to ask you, over the last three four years what's it been like for you seeing the red blacks not only win but become part of the fabric of the community and and be a a success story because there were there were always doubts about a team going back there and you know the renegades went back and ultimately didn't last what has that side of the you know the whole connection with the community side been like for you as a coach well, it's been everything I hoped it would be. I had a really good job from my point of view, being the D coordinator in Calgary. I, it was uh, a job I really liked, and it was going to take a lot for me to leave. And um, I didn't know anybody here in Ottawa, literally Marcel Desjardins or anyone. And I came out and interviewed and kind of said what I had to say. And it seemed to mesh philosophically with the, the owners and Marcel and things that we're trying to get done here. And our number one goal is to have a winning product on the field because that's what pro football is about is winning games. But also it's about being a part of the community and, and making the football team part of the community. And that's a big, that's a big thing for me. And, um, you know, I live here. Um, I spend a lot of time in the community. 
Uh, we're getting more and more coaches living here and players being here and being a part of Ottawa. And, um, and the fans here have been awesome. And uh, it's, it's, it's been really fun. It's been fun to be a part of something that started from zero. Um, I, I go back and think about when I got hired, there were no coaches. I think there were three or four players that were U.S. free agents. And so there was really nothing. So it's been fun to build it up. And you kind of take everything you've learned from all the teams you've been with and all the experiences, and then you go from there. Well, and I remember that because I think you and I did an interview where you were something like one of three employees that the, that the Red Blacks had. So, yeah. yeah, that's it. <laughs> Things have changed that's a it. lot. Well, it's going to be that's fun. Right, on. Said, Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was saying we, were, we, were, we weren't going to take a penalty for too many men on the field, <laughs> put it that way, when I first got here. <laughs> that's right. Well, there have been some great matchups uh, already in the short history of the Red Blacks being in the league, taking on the Edmonton Eskimos, so we look forward to another good one on Friday night. Thanks so much for your time, Rick. You got it. Have a good one. We'll see you out in Edmonton. Right on. That is Rick Campbell checking in tonight. The Ottawa Red Blacks, close but no cigar. And there are three games. They're sitting there at 0-2-1. The Eskimos 2-0. Haven't been great off bye weeks in the last couple of years. We'll see how they do on Friday night. Kevin Carius going to jet over from Global Sports and join me in the final hour of the show. When we get back, a conversation with Matthew Benning of your Edmonton Oilers. He was at the Habitat for Humanity build today. We'll talk about that. I'll ask him about the impact of Chris Russell on his young career. I think Matt is very happy to see Russell back with the Oilers for four more seasons. This is Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630 Chad. Back after the news. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.